grab a Bible if you need one there on the back, back there. Uh, and when I say if you need one, you do need one. I just mean if you don't have one already, snatch one. Um, you can keep it. You can give it away. You could take five. It doesn't matter that I will buy more. That's always going to happen. The Bible is key for me. It's my whole world. It changed my life. There's nothing in my life that is different without that word of God uh, in it. So you need a Bible. Also, uh, I don't put everything on the board, and that's intentional because I want you to take it with you. I don't, I don't want you to just sit here and watch the show and leave and say, man, Dave did a great job. I want you to say, man, that was an amazing verse. I need to look at that more and then take God's word home. So go grab your Bible. Go to Esther. Now, we've been headed in one direction for the most part in this book, but now we're going to jump back. Esther is not chronological or not in the book of the Bible. It's not past Daniel. It's actually back. So it's the 17th book. Back up. Your Bible, remember, is a library. It's not a chronological story directly. It's put in categories of the law, the prophets, and the writing. Okay? So this would be in the writings section, and it would go in there with Job, uh, Psalms. So back up there. 17th book is Esther. That's where we are today. Uh, really quick, we're going to give you the story and back up again. We do this every time. It's important because you're learning it too. Uh, and it reminds us where we are. So God, we've been going through the story of God, his story, not ours. God uh, existed before creation. He created all things. Everything that exists was created by him, including the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, though, chose their own kingdom instead of the kingdom that God had given them, this earth. And they rebelled against God. And in response, uh, death and sin entered the world. But even in that moment, in the third chapter of the whole Bible, God made a promise to Eve that a child from her own body, a descendant of her, would restore, would right, would destroy the enemy. You know, all these things that we look for in, in a Messiah, that it would come from her, a, a child of her would do this, okay? So we've been looking for that person throughout ages of history. We've been going through the Bible, following the story of God as we anticipate that person. That's what the whole book is about. Uh, we've looked at that person and that hope pass from generation to generation to generation until we came to a flood where God had destroyed the whole earth except for one family. But that family, Noah's family, carried that seed over to the flood in an ark. And on the other side, the seed began to, or the families began to spread again and the seed traveled again. And it came down to Abraham. And then to Isaac, and then to Jacob, and Jacob's name was changed to Israel, correct? And so Israel was a person first, but then he had 12 kids, and those 12 kids became tribes because they all had families, but they all stayed together, and they had their own families, but they were one big family, and after a while it got so big it became a nation. So the nation of Israel is a people first, and that people found themselves enslaved in Egypt, uh, but God sent who? Moses, right, and Moses went and delivered, raised up and delivered, led the people, God delivered them, but Moses led the people out of Egypt into the wilderness, uh, and in the wilderness, a really cool thing happened, God met them, spoke to them, they all heard him, he gave them the law, his word, and we get all twisted when we hear law, but it's a great thing, it's God's way of saying, hey, I want you to know me, here's the things I'm cool with, here's the things I'm not cool with, and, and you get to know me, like nobody else has that. And so they had that, they carried that, and he said, if you live by my laws, if you obey me, you can stay in a family with me in my land. I'm going to give you this land. 
Uh, I promised it to Abraham, I'm giving it to you. And Joshua guides the people into that land. And don't think of it like it's laws. If you break them, you're out. Think about it like it's a relationship. If you cheat on me repeatedly, then we're going to have to separate. Uh, and so they go into this land that God gave them. And sure enough, that's what happens. They begin to cheat on God by worshiping idols and gods of the land that were already there when they were supposed to get rid of those things. And it creates this cycle. Uh, of, 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 of following him in obedience and then sinning again and following in sin. God raises up judges to help deliver and guide them and things go good for a minute and then bad again. Then God raises up, gives them kings. David being pro- perhaps the most famous, uh, next to God himself. David is the one person spoken of most throughout the Bible. Uh, but by the time David's son Solomon is on the throne, things have gone bad again and the nation splits. And we have, we have basically a civil war in the nation of Israel splits. All right. And then in 722 BC. So for historical facts, I give you the dates because you can go look them up if you think, well, I don't believe the Bible. That's fine. Go look at history for a minute and you'll know these things are true. 722 BC, Assyria invades the northern half of the divided kingdom of Israel and assassinates it, annihilates it, scatters them everywhere and destroys it all. They could not conquer Judah. God had the southern half, where Jerusalem is, God had not uh, given that permission, you could say, yet. Because he's sovereign over this whole thing. Assyria gets conquered by Babylon. Babylon comes back three times. And then by 586 B.C., historical facts, Babylon has conquered the southern kingdom and all of Israel as a nation is now scattered all over the place. Um, and they've taken slaves. Babylon's taken slaves back. That's where we are right now. We've been looking at these slaves that were carried back. We looked at three in particular. Uh, Ezekiel, who was a uh, slave or a, a captive in Babylon. Uh, Daniel, who is a captive also in Babylon. But Ezekiel was just among the people. Daniel was actually beside the king. He just got assigned that position. Uh, and then... Uh, Jeremiah, who was left behind in Jerusalem at the same time um, among those people. So these are the three that we've been looking at. Well, now Persia conquers um, Babylon. And so at the time period we're in now, Persia is the world power. That's 539 B.C. Persia conquers Babylon and now Persia is the world power. Persia is gigantic in its influence around the world and terrifying in their viciousness. They were very hard, very vicious. Uh, they conquered by fear. So th- this is the people who rule the world at the moment. And Daniel is now gone. Um, but Esther has risen up. And Esther and Daniel overlap just a pinch. I don't think they were alive at the same time. But they overlap just a little pinch with the kings that are there. And um, you'll see that in a second. So if you got the Bible, there's the background. Here's where we are. Remember, we're looking for the person, though, as we go through. Uh, today is the risk in finding purpose. All right? The risk in finding purpose. Some of you may already know part of this story, and that's awesome if you do. So let's look. Esther chapter 4, um, verse 13, says, Then Mordecai, uh, and we'll talk about this in a second, but I'm just reading it. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself... That in the king's palace, you're going to escape any more than all the other Jews. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then 
Esther said to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do, and then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Lord, your word is epic. It is so awesome. It's so amazing. Um, Man, thank you for giving it to us. Thank you for entrusting us with it. And I say us because I know I have the privilege of holding a microphone and standing on a stage, but the word is your words for everybody. Thank you for giving it to all of us, Lord. Thank you for giving us a responsibility, all of us, with it. And, Lord, I pray that um, I don't ever put my words in your mouth. I want your words in my mouth. Lord, let your words speak. Uh, I want to hear from you, too. I'm a student just like anybody else, and I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Some of y'all may have seen the movie, but Oscar Schindler uh, was a German, famous German uh, during World War II, and he was a member of the Nazi Party, but he's also credited with saving 1,200 Jews during that time by employing them in his factories. What Oscar Schindler did is he bribed the SS officials in order to keep his workers alive and to keep these Jewish people safe. He spent, by, and he did this all the way up until the end of the war. He actually spent his entire fortune. He was a wealthy man. Spent his entire fortune uh, until he was broke trying to save and keep these Jews from being killed by the uh, the Nazis in concentration camps and things like that, realizing that even his watch could have bought another life. Um, it's a powerful story. It's a true story. It's a powerful story. October 9th, 1974, I was two years old on the day. Uh, he was buried in Jerusalem on Mount Zion, the only former member of the Nazi party to have such a privilege and they said he and his wife both are buried there and he was named righteous among the nations by the Israeli government in 1993 now I don't know where Oscar Schindler's faith was with Jesus Christ and I think what Israel did there is amazing and incredible but it bless her heart they can't declare anybody righteous only God can do that uh, but what I do know is this guy was definitely in a very unique time, in a very unique place, with an insanely dangerous opportunity. Um, and today we're going to look at a woman who faced impossibly dangerous situation with the exact same people. Just let that sit in your brain a second. The same people, 2,500-ish years before uh, 2,500 years before-ish. So if you got a sheet, that's cool. If you don't, I always put a, a statement on there. You can pick one up in a minute. But just kind of a one statement to direct your thought on this passage. But and that's this. God directs his people into unique and bold opportunities to impact his kingdom. But those times require action. And they come with risk and cost. I think that's part of the stuff that gets missed. Esther may be the easiest book in the Bible to read. If you're the person that's like, man, I struggle to read the Bible, read Esther then. Uh, It's super easy. It's like a story. It is a story. And it's written to tell, kind of like how we do our upper room like a Passover and we tell the story. Uh, It's a similar thing. It's written to tell the story of this Jewish feast called Purim and where it came from. Uh, This commemorates the Jews from the, uh, the way the Jews were saved from annihilation. And what's kind of cool, we never planned these things. 
but Purim is Tuesday. So it just so worked out that we came to Esther uh, at the time that all of Israel is totally focused on Esther. Um, what goes up, Molly and I actually have been to Israel, and the trip we went just happened to be, we didn't plan it that way, it happened to be Purim. So we were there, and we're able to see it and see how, how they do it. It was really fun. It's a super happy time. There's lots of food. There's lots of giving. P- children will just run up to you in the street and give you candy. Uh, people are wearing clothes, almost like Halloween, except they're dressed like characters from the story of Esther. Uh, everybody dresses up like their favorite character and things like that. So Purim is a big deal. I'm not going to break down Purim, but that's what the book is written about, okay, is to tell generations where that started, okay? So what is the story? Well, I'll give you the quick catch-up to where we are. Ahasuerus, that's the Persian uh, is a Persian king, but that is his Hebrew name. That's the way it translates in Hebrew. Xerxes is probably the one you're more familiar with. That's the same guy, but that's the Greek version of his name. Uh, he has been publicly offended by his queen, Vashti, and he's angry about it because he's so embarrassed. And so he outs his queen, and they begin a search for another queen by looking for all of the finest ladies in the whole kingdom. You know, I don't know how he makes that work, but that's what happens. Sends them out to find all of these virgins that are beautiful, perfect women in however they measure it. Esther is a local Jewish girl. She's right there in the capital where he's at. She's just a local Jewish girl, but she's apparently gorgeous, and she's found. She's brought before the king. She wins the king's heart. He's crazy about her. And he, she is made king. But she keeps her Jewishness secret. She doesn't say anything about being a Jew. Haman is second to the king in Persia. And Haman uh, hates, hates a person in particular named Mordecai. Mordecai is the cousin of Esther. And he's older and he raised Esther. So he's like a father to her because she lost her parents. But he's technically her cousin. But anyway, he's like a father. And so he raised her. This Haman guy hates him because he doesn't give enough respect. He doesn't feel like he's respected by him. So he makes a plot to kill uh, Esther's cousin. Uh, he's going to build a pole about 75 feet high. It says the gallows in most Bibles. That's not, that's fine, but that's not what it was. It was a pole, a stick. Basically, it says in the, in the original language, it's a stick, a tree, a pole, 75 feet high. And when it says hung on it, it doesn't mean rope around your neck. It means nailed. It means impaled. It means something like that. And he's going to make a, he's going to make a public spectacle of this Mordecai because he hates it, but that's not enough. I hate this guy so much, I want all of his people gone. So he persuades the king, who's blind in, in a lot of ways to all of this. Uh, let me just annihilate this whole people, Mordecai and all of his people, so there's nobody left. So that's the plan, complete extermination. Well, Mordecai finds out because the king sends letters all over the kingdom. Here's going to be the day. Wherever you are in all of my kingdom, here's going to be the day when we assassinate and kill everybody. And his kingdom goes from India uh, all the way to Ethiopia. The first verse tells you that. It's a vast area. We're going to, if there's Jews there, you're going to exterminate them on this day. Mordecai hears about it, and Mordecai races to the palace to get Esther and to tell her, make sure she knows, and And that's where we we just read, and that's where we're going to come back in again. Look at verse 13. Then Mordecai told them, uh, they're speaking through, uh, they're not standing face to face. They're speaking through people who are running back and forth, communicating for them. 
Uh, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. Sometimes we think we are immune to hardships. You know what I mean? Sometimes we think that we're in a good place. God has blessed us. And, and nothing bad can, is going to happen. Like, it might be terrible all around the world, but where I'm at is cool. You know what I mean? Our position, we think, is protecting us. Our work ethic, we think, is protecting us. Our income, the money in the bank, whatever, is protecting us. Or even worse, our faith is protecting us. I know, that almost sounds like heresy, but hold on. Like, hey, I got faith in God. Nothing's going to happen. Nothing bad's going to happen. But as believers, man, we can suffer just like anybody else. And die, you know, just like anybody else. This this type of belief, you know, that nothing's going to happen leads to selfish Christians who never devote themselves to spreading the gospel, who never devote themselves to making disciples, who just settle in with their faith, sit on a seat and just, hey, man, I'm cool. Me and God are straight. It's not right. And I'm not accusing Esther of that. I'm just saying. Look at verse 14. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I love that he says, who knows? That's awesome. He's not trying to tell her. God told me to tell you. I mean, he's saying, who knows? He's asking a thoughtful question. It's a subtle way of tuning Esther's ear to hear from God. Like, he, he's not just saying, he's not condemning her, he's not chasing her down, he's tuning her ear to hear from God. Who knows? Do you think God may be speaking here? You know? Man, that's great. And that's exactly what she does. Goes straight to listening for God. And, and listen, we assume, and this is kind of the point of the title too, we assume that being here for such a time as this, as it says there, finding our purpose is this great opportunity for our success. You know what I mean? Like, man, I'm here for such a time as this. Let's go win this game. You know, whatever the goofy thing. I don't know. But, but we jump on that like it's something about our success. But listen, listen. Could God purpose you? For the way that you will die. Now just think about that a second. I'm not trying to get overly heavy. But think about that a minute. Could God purpose you. For the way. That you're going to die. Now before you challenge me on this. And come after me about it. Let me point out that he did that exact thing with his son. He did that exact thing. With his own son. I'll give you some verses. John twelve twenty seven. Jesus is praying in the garden before going to the cross. He says, now is my soul troubled. And what do I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. This is what I came for. This is, God, you sent, you sent me here for this, for how I'm going to die. And, you know. We like to get all holy about it. Jesus' closest friend, perhaps, Peter, that's exactly what he does. Not in this moment, but Peter also, hearing Jesus talk about dying, like, no, 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 that ain't going to happen. Now, God would never do that, dude, never do that. And his response is harsh. Look what he says. Jesus says back, Matthew 16, this is a little bit before that moment, verse 21. 
From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This will never happen. This can't happen to you. Don't you know who you are? But he turned to Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Yeah, okay. But that was Jesus. I mean, that, that was the Son of God for salvation of the world. Like, that's not necessarily us, is it? Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus told his disciples, If anybody comes after me, if you're going to follow me, let him deny himself. Everybody drops it right there. Or they say the next line, take up their cross and follow me. And take up your cross means uh, buy, buy a clunker car that you have to work on and is just a big burden for you. Or endure that miserable job that you have. That's your cross to bear. You know what? That's not true. That's not true. A cross is a very specific thing that did only one thing. A cross did only one thing. What did it do? Kill. So when he says that, he's saying If you're going to come after me, you need to take up your modern-day language electric chair and sit in it. You know, that's that's what he's saying. And then he says, he just clarifies verse 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Will save it. John 21, verse 18, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you. Talking to Peter now, after he's already been resurrected and he's about to ascend and and all he's with his disciples, he's talking to Peter. He says, Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, when you get older, you're going to stretch out your hands and another's going to dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. What are you talking about, Jesus? Well, we know he's talking about the fact that Peter's going to be crucified. That's how Peter's going to die. But just to be sure you know what he's talking about, look at verse 19. Then he said, to this he said, to show him by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after that said, follow me. Literally tells him, that's what's going to happen. Now follow me and do it. And Peter Peter did. Now, I'm not trying to be depressing. Listen, I'm not trying to be depressing or hard. I'm trying to do just the opposite, like just the opposite. If God could purpose that even your death will glorify him, what do you have to fear? You know what I'm saying? I'm not I'm not a fool. I don't want to die. Okay, I, I'm not being ignorant to that, but I'm just saying if God could purpose that even your death would glorify him, what, what do you got to be afraid of? Look at verse 15. Let's finish up. Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a feast on my behalf and don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Fasting here is very clearly defined. I would argue that it only ever is food and drink. I know we like to fast the internet or we like to fast YouTube or we like to fast whatever. I'm not going to fight with you about that, but you're using the term a little differently. Uh, fasting is always related to food and drink. So you're, the reason is because starving, it's because your body has to have it. It's like saying, I'm going to hold my breath for the next three days. You know, your body has to have food and water. 
So what you're doing is you're telling your body, I'm going to depend on God alone, and it's, it's nearly impossible. If you don't sustain me, I'm going to die. That's what you're saying. And, and, and I'm doing it, in this case, for a specific plan, for a specific purpose, expecting a specific hope. Like, I need everybody, she says, for me to do this. And I need you to do it because this is what I'm going to do. And I'm scared. You know, but I'm going to do it. And I need you. I need you with it. And this is going to be the plan. And we're all, we have hope that God's going to hear us. We have hope of what might come out of this. Believing, listen to me, believing is not always equal to faith. Faith must involve action. People say all day, I believe, I believe, I believe. Or I have faith, I have faith. They don't always equal. When, when fa- if it's faith, at some point, it, very soon and very often, it's going to require action. Well, I could give you millions of places. But just to note them, Paul said, walk by faith. Walk by faith. Walk by faith. It means there's an action required. James said, faith without works is dead. I'm not trying to break down other passages. I'm just making the point. These people all unite the fact that faith is moving you to do something. Hebrews 11, the whole chapter. By faith, this person did this. By faith, this person did this. They weren't wielding faith like some sword. I'm not saying by faith. He chopped down whatever, you know, like he had some kind of superpower. He's saying the faith in him led him or her to act. It always requires that believing is saying, maybe you're here for such a time as this, and stopping. Right there. I believe, yeah, I believe God can save us. I believe God can save us. Maybe, maybe it's you, Josh. Maybe you're here for that very purpose. That's, that's believing. Faith, though, is knowing he will certainly raise up somebody and accepting the responsibility. That's faith. Faith is saying, I know God will raise up somebody for this, so let it be me. Let it be me. And faith is putting it out there visibly and inviting other people to get behind you and pray with me in this. I'm going to do this. I need your help. I need your prayers. I need your faith to help my faith. I need you to fast. Like, man, how many of y'all, don't raise your hands, but how many of you fasted for somebody? Like, I mean, genuinely no food for a person, not for you, for somebody else. You know what I mean? Um, and, and I'm not throwing stones. Maybe you have. I'm just saying. It's not common in our world. Breaking the law here, too, really quick, was not a political statement. She wasn't making some kind of bold political stance or something when it says breaking the law. It's an act of obedience and worship and, and a rescue. The price was, if I die, I die. It wasn't if I have to go to... If they lock me up, you know, for making a scene, then they lock me up for making a scene. It's if I die, I die. We already seen this because Daniel faced the same thing. The three three boys in the fire faced the same thing. But don't assume that it was an easy decision. I don't think the boys had a whole lot of time to think about it, right? They were just like, nope, we're making a stand, kill us, that's fine. Daniel had plenty of time to think about it, and Esther has plenty of time to think about it. And I'm going to tell you right now, she's terrified. So what happens? <laughs> you got the Bible. Go read the story. I'm not going to tell you. Uh, I'm not going to tell you. You go read the rest of the story. Find out what happens. But I will tell you this. 
I will tell you this. In chapter 7, verse 6, Esther identifies Haman as an adversary. She says this word that's translated differently in different Bible translations, but it's adversary, it's enemy, it's hater, it's foe. That's, that's what she, she calls him. Um, she calls him wicked. What do you think of when you think of those words? What comes to mind when you hear the word adversary? You think about the team on the other side of the football field? You know? You think about that person who's trying to get the same job you're trying to get? Think about that girl that you really want to ask out, but you hope you get to before he does, or what, however it looks. You know what I'm saying? Is that what you think of? That, that, this is not a life challenge. You know what I mean? This is a monster. In every sense of the word. Like she is facing a monster with death and suffering in his teeth. Hitler. I mean, all of us know. I don't have to give you a history lesson, but Hitler wasn't just killing people. He, he was, he was exper- they, I say he, his whole regime, they were torturing, they were tormenting, they were experimenting. Uh, they, they had no concept, no caution for women versus children versus anything else. If you were of that race or that race or that race, you fit in the category of the kind of people that we can do this to. Monsters, man. Real monsters. Uh, there's a guy, Richard, Richard Wormbrandt. If you don't know his story, you can look him up. He founded Voice of the Martyrs. I was a part of that organization years and years ago. Uh, but he was a Romanian pastor that was locked up with other Romanian believers in communist prisons. And they tortured the unspeakable ways they tortured them. Some of those, they ran rats, starved rats, and then ran them through these tubes into their cells to chew on them at night so they couldn't sleep. They tortured them with pokers, with red-hot knives. They forced them to stand for hours in upright coffins, wooden boxes, and hammered nails into the sides of them so that if they moved at all, they were ripped by the nails naked. Don't want anything from you. Just want you to suffer. Even in some cases, bringing their children in and shooting them in front of them. I'm not, I promise, I'm not trying to make this such a heavy thing, but I do want you to feel the weight of the word monster. Like this, these, this person that she's dealing with, it's not a story. It's a vicious person. And Jesus said, they will hate you because of me. If you follow Christ and you follow him, and you really follow him, hate means hate. Hated by the world. So I'm not sitting here asking you, what's the Haman in your life? You know, what's the, what's that one thing that's in the way of your success? That's, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. Monsters. Our walk of faith is life and death, y'all. Life and death. First Peter 5, 6 says, or 5, 8 says, be sober minded, be alert. Your adversary, that's the same word, or comes from the same word, the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You ever seen a lion eat something? It's not chomp. You know what I'm saying? It's not a Muppet in some children's play. They rip things to pieces. It is miserable to watch if you care about animals. He's saying that's what Satan's doing for you. He's not going to devour the lost. He's already got them. Why does he care? If you're a believer, you're the one he's hunting. Esther's monster here is real. Real, y'all. 
our monster is real. He, he is a real enemy, and he prowls, seeking to devour. And some of us know it, okay? Some of us know it. I don't know everybody's story, but I know a lot of stories in this room. Some of us know what monsters are. Some of us have real monsters. No doubt. Real battles. And if you're a disciple of Christ, the more faithful you are to your purpose, the more monsters you're going to face. You've heard this verse a bunch of times. You'll hear me say it constantly. Second Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, what does that say? Will be persecuted. Heard another pastor put it this way years ago. If you've never run into the devil, you may be walking the same direction. It's always stuck in my head. If you are following Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. And that doesn't mean somebody wrote you're a dummy on your locker. You know, it's a little bit more serious than that. And keep in mind, last thing here really quick. Keep in mind, this is not saying that Esther's entire purpose was this one moment. You know, it's, it's, it's not saying that. It was probably a high moment, no doubt. You know, I mean, it changed history. It's probably a high moment. But for her, her high moment might have been the birth of her first child. I don't know. How many kids did she have? How long did she live? When did she die? We don't know. It's not her story. It's the story of God. Don't forget that. It's the story of God. So the story of God moves on. But she was a real person. She woke up the next day. She's still alive. Mordecai still lived. Xerxes still lived. I mean, life, the next day still came for all those people. How long did they live? What did they do? I don't know. But, you know, the point is that her life wasn't suddenly worthless. Like, I've achieved my purpose, and now I can die, God. Thank you for the opportunity. I mean, that's, that's not, not what happened. What this is saying is this, that God may have strategically placed you here in this moment for his kingdom and glory. And he's expecting you to act, and it will involve risk, and it will always cost when it's those Moments like that. But, but, not just then. It's an everyday opportunity. It's an everyday opportunity. Get up. Lord, let's do it today. Get up tomorrow. Lord, let's do it today. And you might have high, high, high days where the battle is crazy. And you might have just days. But get up every day is that chance. If you're following him and you're still getting up. And look, Esther was not a warrior. <laughs> Esther was not an elite missionary. Well, I'm not going to Saudi Arabia. That's for the elite ones or whatever. You know, she, she was not an elite. She, she was a, a girl, a, a literal girl that lived in the hood, you know. Not the hood hood, but you know. She lived in the capital. She was very pretty. She didn't have anything to do with that. That was jeans. That came from her parents, you know. She didn't have, so she just looked, she's just a kid. But what's obviously clear is that she had a habit of seeking God and saying yes. Know what I'm saying? Um, does your life reflect what you believe? I've been asking myself this. Does your life reflect what you believe or what you want from life? Think about that a minute. This is my wrestle, but I'm going to give it to you. Does your life reflect what you believe or what you want from life? People look at you and how you live. What do they see? What your goals and your strategy and your hopes and all that are? Did they see what you really say you believe? 
Do you need to change that? This might be the such a time as this. Something as simple as this moment. Saying, hey, this has got to change. If you haven't given your life to Christ, and I, I can assure you this is that moment. I can tell you right now this is that moment. Every time you get in my presence, I'm going to tell you it's that moment. For a fact. We're going to do another song and close up. And I want to give you guys a few minutes to process this. So if you stand up with me. Um, and I'm going to pray in just a second. Uh, but. Yeah, I'm not trying to be funny about it. I'm not trying to be super sensational about it. Uh, but I, it's important that you take time to process this and to think this through. Uh, I, I always use this verse. I bring it up all the time. And listen, I want you to close your eyes for just a minute as I, as I say this. Think about this verse that, that Jesus, Jesus' words. Okay, picture him there. Picture him talking. I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Now picture he leans into your face and he says, do you believe this? If you do believe it, then faith is going to have to involve action. And the first action is to admit who you are. Oh, Lord, I'm a sinner. I know it. I know I struggle. I know I do. To believe who he is. When I look in your eyes, I see God. Like, Jesus, you are so much more. You know, and then to trust what he's done is enough. Lord, I'll never be good enough for heaven. I'll never be good enough for you. I can't be. I know that. But I believe the cross was enough. I believe that your son's death, Jesus, your death on that cross, I believe that was enough. And I believe you're alive. I believe you conquered death, and I can put my faith in that. I can't do it, but you did, and that's enough. And if that's you today, tell him. Just tell him those things right now. You can say it however you want. I don't care. You don't have to repeat after me. You tell him. Lord, your word is awesome. This opportunity to walk through it from front to back and see the lives of so many people is amazing. What's kind of cool as I think about it is Esther's with you. This is not a fairy tale or made-up story. This is a person that we'll meet one day by faith. We'll meet one day. I want to hear her tell the story. Man, how cool would that be? Lord, I pray you help us live out our faith. And I ask in Christ's name, amen.